Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you on what is a challenging topic of reconciliation. Um, Lord, and we know as we feel um, kind of the pains of growing as a church, Lord, um, that there are areas that we need to push into, that we need to be dependent on you, Lord. Challenging moments in our lives, Lord, where, where we need to seek Christ, you first, Lord. Holy Spirit, empower us. Give us spirits of courage. Give us spirits of compassion. Give us spirits of humility, Lord, that we might seek you first. Amen. Um, I just I wanted to give you just uh, I was I was reflecting on this and I think it's apt for your community right now Romans twelve that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. Um, you heard that 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 uh, that phrase misery deserves uh, deserves company misery likes company that idea. Um, well, a celebration needs a party. Um, you, you are at a really unique place as a community. As you continue to grow, um, we can find ourselves at a place where we get really good at mourning with those who mourn and we're scared to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because we're kind of we're scared if we rejoice that that mourning part will come again, you know? So we get gun shy of the celebration and we just kind of get ready to mourn when we need to mourn. And at just, just a profoundly difficult time for you guys, you have to rejoice and mourn at the same time with the same person. And you've got to figure out how to do that well. And so can I encourage you to push in on Christ with that and don't neglect to celebrate well and to, to kind of cathartic mourn with those who need to be mourned with. But don't get gun shy about the celebrations. You're doing baptism in a few weeks. That's a celebration. Angels are throwing parties in heaven already. They're cleaning up the streamers while well, you're getting the bathtub ready to dunk some folks. Celebrate that. Push in on that. When new babies are born in our midst, where was it, Beatrix um, and Jake? We celebrate that. That children are a blessing of the Lord. They're, they're, they're brutal. Beautiful and brutal all at once. <laughs> brutal. So celebrate it. You know, Rejoice in that. High fives. Our, our lives... This is the way we function, is that we, we high-five angels while Satan punches us in the guts at the same time. You know, so you're like, that was great, I'm good, I'm going to move on. That, that's, how, that's how you're going to find life. And, and the longer that we live it, the more that we have those moments where we need to celebrate the moment, not be nervous about ominous black clouds that may be looming in the future. Celebrate the day that the Lord has given us. And when that day comes filled with trouble, be prepared to mourn in it. We remember the hilltop experiences so we can walk through the valley together. Okay, So rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We are looking at the conversation of 
reconciliation. And reconciliation is really significant for our community because it is all about debt forgiveness. Have you got any bankers, any accountants in the room? Anyone who does finance stuff? Um, the whole purpose of reconciliation is an understanding of debt forgiveness. Um, and and that's, that is hugely significant for our community, for a gospel community. Um, and because I'm not wise on this, I'm going to use Tim Keller as the quote. Obedience is hard and disobedience is impossible when it comes to reconciliation. Obedience is hard, recon- uh, disobedience is impossible. We cannot be a community that loves Jesus and does not reconcile. Disobedience is impossible. So we have to be obedient, and obedience is hard. So we are stuck between a rock and a hard place, and we've got to figure out a way to do it well, and we're going to have to push into the hard place because the rock isn't going anywhere. One of the challenges is, in your walk with Christ, you will get to a juncture where something truly and profoundly difficult happens and you go, I don't know if I can forgive that person. I don't know if I can let that go. I've been hurt so badly for so long, for so deeply that I do not know if I can practice forgiveness and reconciliation. If you get to that moment and you say, so therefore I will not forgive the person and I will not reconcile the person, understand that you do not understand the gospel at that moment. That you do not understand Christ's forgiveness, that you do not understand the power of reconciliation that Christ offered you first in that moment. So we're going to navigate to that place and I'm going to say push in because obedience is hard but disobedience is impossible. Because if we get to that place and you say you cannot do it, then I would argue that you cannot be a follower of Christ unless you do it. So, and you're like, oh man, I was really hoping for a funny sermon. <sighs> I'll try and throw in light-hearted moments, okay? Keep our Sunday fresh. Um, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Okay? It says, and I'm NIV, apologies, I know that we're... Um, Charismatic Reformed here and work exclusively from the ESV. So <laughs> bear with my poor and feeble translation. <laughs> I promise I work from the Greek. Um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us 
the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we need to chart a course to reconciliation, but first of all, we need to understand that Christ did it first. Uh, is Romans, although uh, uh, we, we were first, uh, that we were dead in our transgressions. We, we get this unusual concept that like God will rescue you when you are at the end of your rope. You know, like just at the, you ever had that conversation, man, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm just waiting for God to step in. God is not going to step in, not at the end of the rope. You need to let the rope go. You need to let the rope go, fall and die. You need to be dead, like broke your legs, bleeding out, dead. That's when God steps in and rescues you. Because if you are at the end of your rope, then that means that you've still got some strength left and that you think you might be able to kind of navigate your way out of it. But it was when we were dead in our transgressions that Christ rescued us. You were a bloated corpse, adrift on the ocean, and God breathed life into you. And so when God said that he reconciles himself to us through Christ, he who had no sin took the sin for us, is he was saying, you did nothing. That in the, in the process of debt forgiveness, I took the weight of the debt and I liberated you from everything associated with that so that we could restore relationship. And that, through the death and resurrection of Christ, was hugely costly. So profoundly costly that it would be wrong for me to assume that you could pay any of that debt off. So I have paid it all off for you through Christ Jesus. So as he, Christ is communicating to us that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, we need to start at a place where we say, if debt forgiveness is the aim of the game, then God did it first through Christ in a truly profound way for you and for me. An epic way. Before we even initiated anything, God did it all. And not only that, he then gives it to us to say, you are now going to model that to the world. So if we, uh, if we take your Bibles, we're going to flip to Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. Uh, sound desk guys I'm going to read just from 14 and 15 um, so this is from uh, Sermon on the Mount territory it says um, for if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their sins your father will not forgive your sins our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day, forgive us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins 
as we forgive those who sin against us. This conversation of reconciliation seems pretty significant in Scripture, doesn't it? And so last week we were talking about gospel identity, weren't we? So we're people um, embedded in the good news of Jesus. Good news of Jesus means we should know how to celebrate. Just That's a side point, different message. Invite me back and we'll talk on that. Um, but if we are people of the good news, then the good news is, is that we should practice forgiveness and reconciliation well. If we don't forgive men of their sins, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you of your sins. So what does it look like for us to chart a course of reconciliation if Christ initiated that first? Okay, I'm going to get a little bit practical here, and I think that that's important. Um, what we, gospel community group leaders, Matt, is that what they're called? Here's your five questions. First one is the Tim Keller quote, obedience is hard, disobedience is impossible. Unpack that. Second question is, we're going to chart the course out of reconciliation, figure out how it's going to make it work. So you're going to need to pay attention to these points. Thankfully, I think it's being recorded. Um, Pray and submit your heart before the Lord and ask him for help. In prayer, examine your own walk before you examine somebody else's walk. Um, The amount of times that we start a process of reconciliation and we walk in going, I have been wronged and therefore I have done everything right, that is a misnomer. You're broken. I hate to bring it up, but you've got issues in your own life. And it is very important in a process of reconciliation that you surrender your own heart before the Lord and allow Him to search that and reveal things that you've done in your own life that you might need to address or may need to be addressed in the process of reconciliation. Prayer is an essential part of the process of reconciliation. Why? Because the whole a point of reconciliation that has been given to us from God means that God should be on the equation for reconciliation. God imparts reconciliation to us. So surely if we were go to reconcile a person, um, to reconcile with a person, we should seek God's help. He's the one who gives us the instructions on how do we do it. So we surrender our hearts before God and say, search me. Where am I broken here? Where do I need to repent? Where am I guilty? What do I need to do before I walk into this process of reconciliation? You ever, ever think about this? Look, just look around left, right. Okay, this is your community. And in your community, you have a cup. You've got a cup of crazy. You're like, no, I don't have a cup. Well, if you believe that you don't have a cup, the crazy people always think that they're sane. And you're probably carrying a keg. And so we all walk in with a cup of crazy and some of us are really good at hiding it and others of us have unfortunately got much bigger cups and we drag them into church, you know? We drag a keg into church and we set it up. That's my cup of crazy and it's on display for all to see. And some of us walk in but we've got a tanker. We kind of park it outside and walk in with a hose of crazy and sit down. You know, 
And we go, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, oh, it's just a hose, but you follow the hose and it's connected to a tanker. And you're like, oh, that was a lot deeper than I anticipated it going. But we're called to unconditional love. And so therefore we need to bank pretense. Because we, we all carry some kind of degree of crazy. We do. Your family's crazy. You've got an uncle who's crazy. You've got an auntie who's crazy. And, and it's wrong for us to judge people on the cups that they carry. Christ doesn't do that in a process of reconciliation. Embrace the cup. Acknowledge you're crazy. And check the pretense. Part of the process of love and reconciliation means that we need to acknowledge that we are not perfect and that we are broken and that we have issues that people might find a bit perplexing. But we must learn to bank the crazy and just say, you know what, it is, I'm crazy. And listen, my crazy is much bigger than this cup, but I'm speaking to you today, so I need to look respectable. Um, but if we walk around going, oh, I'm not going to deal with that level of crazy and I'm certainly not dealing with the tanker outside, then we can't push towards reconciliation. We're a community. We, we, accept, whoa, we accept that a person comes in broken, but it's the Holy Spirit and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that transforms them. So we have to walk with them, brokenness and all. And churches are messy, and so we just need to accept that messiness. And we need to understand that as we chart a course through reconciliation. It's messy, very messy. Because people come to the table with stuff that we're not prepared for or ill-equipped for, and we have to navigate that in a loving, humble, and accepting way that pushes Christ and his agenda first and acknowledges it's the power and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to change hearts. I'm broken, you're broken. Thankfully, we're at a place where sick people, sick people can get healed. Through what? Jehovah Ratha, our great healer, Christ Jesus. Second thing I want to say is that we need to address a person in a kind and loving manner that seeks to address what was wronged. And this is why that point of cup of crazy is really important, is that in process of reconciliation, it is um, you and me versus sin, not you versus me. We're not looking to be combative. We want to love the person but address the issue that has come up as a result of the relationship. Okay, so you know a lot of time if you haven't prayed on it, you just wage on in there and you just start firing shots at the person. Listen here, you jerk. Well, that's a lovely way to start. Good to establish that. Um, and you start firing shots at one another and it becomes combative. And what happens is the sin that is in you rises up and the sin that is in them rises up and it's just a, it's a war of sin. Uh, and I wonder how you chart a process of reconciliation through that if it's just combative, but it needs to be you and me versus the issue. There's an issue that we need to deal with. And I'm broken and you're broken and we're seeking Christ first and so we need to address this issue. Is that I want you to use a soft and humble tone. I always say I'm, I, I like to start a fight with how I want to finish a fight. 
Have you ever had a screaming match that ended with softly spoken words? It always escalates fights, don't they? So my heart and attitude is always start with a soft, spoken, humble word. And I seek to maintain that tone the whole way. A person I might be speaking with can get angry and escalate and, and get quiet. I mean, you, you talk to my wife, she goes, oh, you're in your serial killer mode again. <laughs> Which is really bad because I'm trying to be soft and humble, you know. And she's like, serial killer mode. I'm like, so you got... But she gets passionate, you know. But I, I want to I end it with soft, loving, humble tones. And so I speak in a soft, humble way. I, I attack the problem not the person. I select, uh, suggest a solution or alternative course. In the process of reconciliation, think on Scripture. We start in a garden and God starts a process of reconciliation. Reconciliation is not to a return to history, but to a preferred tomorrow. So it doesn't end in a garden, does it? We don't go back to being naked in a forest. We end where? In a city. So God, who charts a process for reconciliation, says we can't go back to Eden, but we can go forward to Zion. So when we look at reconciliation, we say to ourselves, okay, we can't go back to history. History is done. That has been broken. If we go back to the way it was, we're just going to set ourselves up to do the issue again. We need to go towards a preferred tomorrow. We have to chart a course to a solution where we can resolve the conflict. Some of you... Sitting here and listening to me, and you go, I've got a dad that has abused me. I've got, a, I've got like a, an ex boyfriend or an ex husband that has abused me. I, I've, been in, I've been in abusive relationships. You, you can't ever go back. There's no going back in reconciliation. You can only chart a course to a preferred tomorrow, which means that in the process of reconciliation, you can set up parameters by which the new relationship can function. But when you have a conversation with someone and they're like, no, I want to go back to the way things are, you can't. It has been broken. There is no going back. We can only go forward. And the reason I can say that is because Christ isn't leading us back to Eden. He is leading us forward to Zion. And so what has gone before has gone before and it is broken and we cannot return there. So what we can do is forge towards a new tomorrow. That's the process of reconciliation. You also need to keep in mind that there are cultural differences. I mean, we're a very multicultural community, aren't we? Everyone here born in Australia came out on the first fleet? No. We, ha we have different heritages. We have different families. We have different fighting structures at home. I mean, who, who here comes from a family of hedgehogs? At any time there's just conflict in the family, everyone just gets prickly and silent. You know, you just curl up in the ball and you're, ah, ooh, man, it's ow. It's bad in this space, but no one's telling you what the issue is. You know, if you don't know what the issue is, then I'm not telling you what the issue is. Hedgehog fighting. Or how many of you have like, right, like from a, a very passionate and you know, robust family where you're all rhinoceros fighting, you come and stamp your feet. And someone else comes in the back room, stamp their feet. 
yelling. That's rhinoceros fighting. You know, our, this is how rhinoceros fighting ends. Okay, it's just a war. And then it's done. And rhinos are like, let's go get some dinner. Everything's fine. That's rhinoceros fighting. Okay. Hedgehog fighting, though, it gets resolved. And you're like, I need to just have an hour to go and process all of this. And then I'm willing to speak to you after that. We've got rhinoceros married to a hedgehog in this room. Yes, of course we did. Yep, you always married your compliment. You forget that they're a hedgehog and you're a rhinoceros. I'm going to have to bend down like this so I don't set off my sound thing. Um, that's important for, for rec reconciliation. The way we address a person needs to honour the type of uh, background and the culture that they come out of. You, you can't function like a rhinoceros all the time and assume people will be okay with that, especially in a process of reconciliation. I, I, I implore you to push back to being humble and softly spoken. To, to honour a person's heritage and pay respect to that in the process of reconciliation means that you're going to have to chart a course together out of that. Here's the last thing that I want to say for believers in the room. And so this is twofold. Um, if a person is not willing to forgive and be reconciled, then you might need to escalate the process of reconciliation and get involved eldership, which is like Matthew 18 conversation a little bit um, but for believers you cannot be unreconciled you have to be reconciled and so if a person who is a believer is not willing to be reconciled then you need to escalate it and seek reconciliation perhaps with eldership we, we, we as believers should be thick-skinned but tender-hearted. Um, one of the challenges, I think, in you, you walk away from a reconciliation message and you think that everything requires reconciliation. You know, you like you have a fight. Oh, we need to have reconciliation right now. But you need to understand there's a difference between just being annoying <laughs> and needing to be reconciled. Like sometimes you do something and it's just annoying. Okay, learn to deal with the annoyance. Okay, that's different. You don't need to get the elders involved because someone's annoying. Um, you, that's where you need to be thick-skinned but tender-hearted. You need, a, a, as, as a community centered before Christ, where you, where you seek to love, um, be courageous, be bold, be humble, be patient, that, that you need to be thick-skinned. People will say and do stuff that's annoying. But you don't need to reconcile at every one of those moments. So you're thick-skinned and you're tender-hearted. Remember, um, uh, 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers over a multitude of sins. When you say, I love you, it does not necessarily mean that you have to trust them. I love you does not equal I trust you. In a process of reconciliation, we need to know that trust is slowly earned and quickly lost 
and that we can establish a framework to reconcile to a person, but the trust bank account builds slowly. It always has and it always will, but you empty it quick. And when we look to establish a process of reconciliation, we can say before the Lord, I love you, but we need to earn trust back. And we need to earn trust back in the new environment, not in the old environment where we have established a, a, a way that we can protect ourselves from that happening again and that we can take time to invest trust back into the account slowly because it always builds up slowly. I just wish you'd trust me again. Give it, give it two years. That's awkward. It's an uncomfortable notion. But if we're committed to the relationship, I need to see the investment. I'm, do you think that the reconciliation process means it's just one-sided? No, we both have to invest into that trust bank account. But it's slow to earn interest and it's quick to be emptied out. If we do not practice forgiveness, if we do not practice forgiveness, we are simply drinking poison and waiting for another person to die. Oh, I hate that person. It's mm, really hurting me. Why, why would you function like that? Christ Jesus, in this passage, who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. And he commits to us that message of reconciliation. We should be masterful at this. When there's conflict in the business world, they should be going, get those Christians from Anchor in on this because those guys know reconciliation. Those guys live forgiveness. Those guys are experts at this stuff. Because reconciliation, if we're honest, hurts us. Debt forgiveness means that we have to say, I will forgive the debt I will initiate this, and that is hard. But that's what God did for us first. That's the problem with reconciliation, is that um, we assume that we would never, ever do that. Have you ever said that in a conflict? Oh, I would never do that. I would never, ever do that. Well, thank you. When you're done, can you just go out there and walk on some water just to prove that you are who you say you are? Messiah. You would never do that, but you've done something else that was a whole lot worse. You're just not willing to admit it. Who does judgment get reserved for? The Lord, doesn't it? We've got to figure out how to reconcile and forgive and that we need to acknowledge what? that a person has a cup of crazy and it's different from ours. So that, that I would never, ever do that, I would never, ever do that, is not something that should be in our dialogue. Yeah, like, 
the terms maybe, if, but make up horrible apologies. Maybe if you did things a little bit differently, things would have come out the same, but you didn't, and I still forgive you. What a jerky apology is that? Yeah, had that? I forgive you, but I need you to know that we can't be friends again. Does Christ ever say that to you? Like Christ says your sins are forgiven, but we can't hang out anymore. (laughs) Has you ever heard Jesus say that? I mean, can we flip to like Hesitations 14, where he says, these are all the things that I hesitate about my followers. You know? No one ever says that. Christ doesn't say, I love you, but we got to sleep in separate beds. You know? I can only give you 50% of the Holy Spirit. The rest goes to better Christians. We don't don't communicate like that. We can't communicate like that. If maybe in butter, dirty words in an apology. Now, I I think sometimes in, in, in your timeline of life, you're going to have to practice reconciliation because you're the one that's done something wrong and needs to be reconciled. I was at university, a University of Technology, Sydney, um, and I was at the time really struggling with anxiety. So I, I had like a medical issue that went unresolved for like 25 years and we kind of figured it out over the course of that, but it hadn't been figured out at university. Um, and what it meant was... He, he, just watch my cup of crazy get bigger, we'll end up over there in a second. Ready? Is that My anxiety meant that I would get nervous about going out anywhere unless I knew where the bathrooms were. And even more so, as I went over this thing, I had to chart a course if it was a long trip. I needed to know toilets en route to destination. There's maps for that. Okay. And so we would go out and I would need to know where the bathrooms were because I, if I ate too much spicy food, I get this thing, it's a salicylate intolerance, finally been figured out, all good. But the issue was, is that I was like really unreliable stuff. So people go, oh, we're going to this great new Thai place in at Newtown and I'd freak out. So I'm like in a city, I'm not, I, I kind of struggle. I feel a little bit claustrophobic in the inner city. I know I'm like at a church in Erskineville, Newtown, and I'm like explaining this to people who love this area. But that for me was a real, like it was a challenge. And then the fact that a lot of restaurants don't have toilets that are usable, do you know? Like I need, I need either like a princely throne or a shovel to dig a hole in the ground, but not in between. Do you know what I mean? Skanky toilets are not my thing. So I need to understand the quality of the toilet. And so this would go through my head anytime. I know, weird, like we're getting there, trust me, and we're not even there yet. Um, so that my life was dictated by where the nearest bathrooms were. Thankfully, UTS have some great quality bathrooms. I won't tell you where. They're all hidden and they're all fantastic. Um, but I would, they would invite me out and I would just be unreliable on things all the time. And not only that, I would just start to use the friendship, you know. I, I, I knew how to interact with, well with Christians, but I had no clue how to interact with non-Christians. You know, like, can they love like us? Can they be gracious like us? Are they compassionate like us? I just had, like, it was just awful at interacting with them. And so over the course of five years, I just like broke terrible friendship after terrible friendship like just all my fault 
you know, and all because I was concerned about where the nearest bathroom was for a number two, but I couldn't own that. And so I would start this process of trying to reconcile with these people who don't know Jesus as a follower of Jesus and have them shoot it down. Like, you are a freak. But you start, well, listen, I need to be honest. The reason that we couldn't hang out, Brian, was I was just uncomfortable with the toilet's en route to our destination. Um, there was just too many dirty ones between me and you. And I was unsure of the restaurant's bathroom situation. Um, and I know I did that for five years straight, but I'm just wondering if you could forgive me. Brian can because he loves Jesus. I would say that at university and people are like, you freak. What is wrong with you? Like, you need medical help or something. Because I just, I just shattered these relationships. And then I ran into like friends from school that were like, your humor caused me to go into counseling for years. Because you, you would make fat jokes at my expense relentlessly. I was like, oh... I am so sorry. Can you forgive me? No. You're an a-hole. And, and I realize that the words that I choose to use and the way that I need to act impacts people on deep levels. And if I'm going to be a pastor then I have to champion reconciliation. But sometimes it's not received. By people who don't follow Jesus, they may not receive it and they may not follow you and they may not listen to it, but you still need to ask for it. Does that, does that make sense? It, is that I had to have a bunch of awkward conversations that explained why I was such a doofus and have them go, you're a freak, get away from me. I then had to say, will you forgive me? Can we be reconciled? Can we hang out again? No, you're a weirdo, leave me alone. See, people who don't follow Jesus don't have to reconcile to you. It doesn't mean that you can't try and try and try again the process seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you can't be dogged about that. Anytime I run into them at alumni functions, I still, I'm so sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? No. Do you know how long I need to wait before I stop doing that? There is no timeline. I continue to seek forgiveness i continue to seek reconciliation why because i've been forgiven and i've been reconciled to a level that i can't possibly comprehend through jesus christ my lord and king and so i will seek it with anyone and everyone that i've wronged and i don't have permission to be disobedient to that because it's impossible and obedience is hard i i, I wanted to end with a decree from Scripture over all of us. Okay, I don't know, this is kind of a Pentecostal thing. Go with me, hands in the air if you want. Um, Paul, after this passage, so it ends, um, 
God made him who had no sin to be, uh, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Paul, in uh, this is 2 Corinthians 6, 3 to 13, kind of reflects a little bit on his ministry and the encounters that we will get as a community heralding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's really powerful. And I feel like it's that moment that we have in life when we, we're high-fiving God, high-fiving angels, and Satan's punching us in the belly, and we've got to chart a course through life. And if we're in the process of reconciliation and debt forgiveness, where we stand there and we feel like we can't do it, we need to push into Christ, and we need to listen to the words of Paul here. So I'm going to read from verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and in riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in impurity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposted, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. We take communion as a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. That's our rally point, people. That's our, if you know the story, that's our we are Marshall moment where we stand and we say we are for Christ because he has reconciled himself to us. And so, so I'm going to pray for us. I think the band comes up. We, we respond and then we take communion. But I decree that passage over our life. In, in, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, Christ is king. As you walk through life, you will be honored and dishonored for the sake of Christ. We might have nothing, but we have everything in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and King. Paul suffered it. The Corinthians suffered it. And every believer between there and now has suffered it and we will suffer it as we move forward. But we take a moment and we respond and we reflect on what Christ has done and we stand together in unity and we say we have everything in Christ Jesus our King. And so we will practice reconciliation and we will practice forgiveness until we die because Christ did it for us first. Let's pray. Lord, we surrender ourselves before you. You are Lord and King. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Lord, you are our rock, our deliverer. May we find comfort in the arms of your wings, Lord. May we know you as King. And may we surrender ourselves before you. Lord, help us to be reconciled. Help us to be a reconciling people. 
Lord, help us to practice forgiveness, Lord. Equip us and enable us that we might herald the good news to a community that is broken and lost. Lord, that you might transform hearts and lives here and where obedience is hard and disobedience is impossible. Help us push into the hard place and lead us. Amen.